Welcome back, everyone, to Stories of a Broken Sun. I'm Matt, your friendly guide here. My pronouns are here, they. You can find me on Twitter at YCaliber, follow the show at Broken Sun RPG, or you can go to our website, brokensunrpg.com. Today, we are doing a postmortem on seasons one and two, the hub arc, I suppose. And we are going to be answering some questions sent in by uh, audience members. Beyond that, we are going to hopefully get into some Session Zero stuff for the next season, but that'll be in a separate recording. Before I introduce everyone, I want to acknowledge that this podcast is produced on the unceded territory of the Quetzal, Coquitlam, Stalo, Kwantlen, Staminas, and Musqueam people, and the treaty land of the Tawasan First Nation. Please continue to support Indigenous land protectors and Indigenous people by going to the hashtag SettlerSaturday on Twitter and contributing to people's direct aid funds. Today, I am joined by our full cast of wonderful individuals. So let's start with Velvet. Dark greetings, everyone. I'm Velvet Fayfair. You can find me pretty much everywhere on the interwebs at OG Brown Sugar, and I'm very excited to get to touch on some stuff that we didn't get to really showcase or dive into. Excellent. And we're joined by Trudy. Hi, I'm Trudy. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, and like everyone here, I'm excited to finally be back. Mike. It's me, Mike Blood. You can find me at, on Twitter at GoodSirBlood, and I'm not excited. I'm fully belligerent to find out what we've missed. <laughs> ready to fight. I'm ready to go. And Keekers. Hi, everyone. It's me, Keekers, also known as Via Space Cat. I use she slash her pronouns, and I don't know what to describe myself as other than a constant state of flux. Constant oh, state yeah. of flux. Yeah. That's fair. Makes sense to me. Uh, speaking of a constant state of flux, seasons one and two, we sure finished them. That's true. Yep. That we did, Captain. How do you all feel about where we ended up? I feel right. Yeah? That was crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I said that Velvet was quoting uh, Face Self there. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I'm pretty satisfied. It's certainly not necessarily where I expected everything to be, but that's always been the case since the start of this show. I had a couple of notes for going into season three, which I showed you all the guest packet that I made up. I knew that at some point the emergency was going to get there and consume the habitat, and I knew it was going to happen from as a result of that. but. Uh, Beyond that, I didn't really plan out much in season two. I had very basic ideas and we filled them in as we went. Here's a here's a mission. Oh, that went interestingly. Here's another mission. Okay, well, let's see how that impacts the world. So um, I had a lot of fun trying to keep up with uh, all the twists and turns that you were throwing out there, all of you. Uh, should we dive into the questions or are there any other thoughts that you'd like to share before we begin? I think I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. My body's ready. I mean, I was trying to think if there was any sort of like wisdom or knowledge I wanted to part, but not really. Maybe we'll have some by the end of this. Yes. Uh, so thank you to Dwayne Feenstra and to Helga for sending in some questions for us to answer today. Uh, we'll start with questions from Helga. Number one is, how did everyone name their characters? Anyone want to start here? Why don't we start with the season one characters? Uh, well, can I answer for myself and Deg? Because this kind of helps. Yeah, of course. Fill in some gaps there. Uh, so Whiskey dropped out early, and he had named his character Deg and Keva. Um, they both came from the same like document that I 
used uh, this program. I don't know if it exists anymore, but it was called like vulgar lang or vulgar language or something like that. I know that generally means vulgar as in disgusting, but it meant like something else. I can't remember. I don't know if it's around anymore, but basically you could buy uh, the program, the premium package, which would allow you to generate a whole like language based on certain parameters and like say just the general like grammar and then maybe like so many thousand words um so i did that and i said hey if anyone wants to use this go ahead um and i picked out a name that i thought or word that sounded like a good name which was keva which um gener- in the generated language meant backbone or your back um, and I thought that that was like a fun, it sounded like a name. And again, I thought, oh, that's a fun meaning. And um, Whiskey had picked Deg, which meant community. Um, and I don't really think we ever used it that much. Again, I used it for some of Keva's uh, family members, mm-hmm. which I don't remember them right off the cuff, but that wasn't necessarily it. Uh, but anyway... Come to find out Keva as actually kind of like a female version of the name Kevin, like really old. <laughs> and there's also like some building blocks that are also named Keva brand, which kind of cracks me up because it's like, oh, it means backbone in this fake language. And like, oh, building blocks are strong and all that. But yeah, I ended up liking it, uh, kept it. And it was definitely better than the first name I put out there, which was Astrolabe which was a really bad uh, history joke because these these star-crossed lovers had for some reason decided to name their illegitimate child Astrolabe huh. in the medieval period. Yeah, it didn't make any sense other than it was me thinking, oh, that's really funny that they... Oh, my God. Yeah, they decided to name their kid Astrolabe. It would be funny if there was a character named Astrolabe. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad I went with Keva because Keva's not as much of a joke character as others. I would love there to be a fun, yeah, <laughs> a fun, sorry, Mike messaged me about Abelard and Heloise. That was the name of the parents, uh, Astrolabe's parents, who, mm. but yeah, it would be fun if we had an ast- NPC named uh, Astrolabe, but that was kind of the prototype at that time. So anyway, I'll stop talking and let someone else talk <laughs> yeah keva has certainly i think lived up to the fantasy meaning of backbone or the or yeah. the building blocks in a lot of ways she's been a sort of like a a steady member of the party in a lot of ways oh that was kind of what i was going for when i was dreaming her up i see uh is it vulgarlang.com pretty sure that you post the right link there we'll probably right. share it in the discord later i don't yeah. know if it's still up and running as much but Oh, I can find out. It's It still exists, at least. Yeah. Uh, who else wants to share the genesis of their name? I think the, the last name, Jarma, that was from the document I made up, right? Yeah, yeah. You kind of said, oh, these are different names that work or are common. And I just like the name Jarma because it sounds kind of like karma, hmm. which is a word I know. Uh, and I also thought it sounded a little bit more um, Southeast Asian Indian Arab which was some of my idea for part of a big chunk of Keva's genetic makeup. Yeah. I can talk about that document some more later on once we've gone through everyone else's name. Uh, Sorry, who was next? 
Um, I can go next. So actually, I pulled Zor's name from that document, if I recall correctly. And um, I chose the name because it sounded cool, but I chose Zora in particular because I'm a huge Zelda fan. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I love the Zora. So um, I want to go with Zora, which I know is a not a very thoughtful reason for choosing a name, but um, liking the name is just enough for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I can pull up the meaning. Give me a minute and I'll... And- you know, it sounds good too. Zora. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a fun strong to say. name. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strong name for a strong lady. <laughs> Hell yeah. We should have maybe done Oob, which was just O B, um, which means road. Now that I'm pulling up this document again. Oh wow. So um I'm looking it up and the meaning of Zora is dawn. Perfect. Oh yeah. yeah. Wow. And you picked the last name Jackson, spelled with the Z H uh, at the at the front. I did. I just, I like the way it looked. <laughs> yeah, it looks good. It's got a kind of um, almost Marvel character or DC character, like superhero character from the Golden Age deal, uh, alliteration. Oh yeah, 100%. I just want to say that another word in this old document is Zer, which is C-I-R, and it means watch, which I love. But yeah, maybe I should post this at some point. It's not a document anymore. I just kind of screenshotted it. So it's technically an image. Um, And it's funny because if you go through it, you will see that I accidentally highlighted sex (laughs) or (laughs) from the word sexually aroused um, because I was, I think I was searching through a couple of different things just to see what they were doing. And I was like, I was wondering, like, oh, is this like a swear word we could use at some point? And I decided to go against that. (laughs) (laughs) Probably for the best. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to find like our Criff or whatever, but... Let's see, Emrin Pock or uh, Maeve Sentis? Uh, I can jump in. So Sentis was kind of a a safe choice. Just I took that from the sample ones in the document. Uh, I went with Maeve because I think uh, at the time that we started... I was taking a really awesome Celtic uh, mythology class in college, and I was so into it that I was like, "All right, let me let me borrow something." So Maeve ended up Maeve uh, with the the awesome spelling. Uh, her mother ended up Boudica, and her father was Lou. Yeah, it was definitely a strong through line for uh, for her family line there. I was just gonna say Maeve's a great character in Irish mythology. Oh, absolutely! It's kind of funny to think back on who we were what four years ago now, and the uh, types of interests we had that led to prefer not to <laughs> <laughs> think about how those uh, how those interests impacted what the story became, what the characters became. But speaking of which, uh, Emron Pock, where'd that come from? So Emron was a name I made up when I used to play the Old Republic. I had an Imperial spy named Emron. Oh yeah, that's really it. Was a uh, it wasn't a randomly generated name. I just punched keys. And that came out, and I was like, oh, that's great. And it, it's very close to an Arabic named Emran, which I believe means prosperity. Well, something Emran has found now, at least. Thank goodness. But yeah, it was fully complete accident. I just really liked the name. And Pak, I think I got off the document that you created. Yeah. I don't remember if it had any meaning. Well, Pak is an, an existing name. I guess I can talk a little bit about Ooh. that document. It's still there if you go to the Charjan References uh, channel. We never ended up using that much, but uh, I like to go into it sometimes and look back at how we can't edit it, <laughs> and that 
it's all still season one stuff. And I'm like, wow, it's been a while. Yeah. It's the archive. Been a while. Uh, yeah. So I have, I, I put together this little document of common surnames and oof, that was 2017, early 2017. I, I made this up and it had, let's see, common surnames. And then in brackets, Q is pronounced as CH and ZH is pronounced like, uh, is like J. And this came from the, uh, the Chinese influence. So I knew from the start, obviously, what was going on in the world and why uh, the, the um, let's see, why Gov's domain was the way it was. And I knew that it was because the people in the sun who had created this uh, mythology and built this culture, they did it by the way that a lot of... Um, it's a certain type of common fantasy writer might and probably we can just go ahead and say old white dudes often would do this where they would go and they would just take a bunch of non-western cultures and jam them together and say this is the exotic group so i sort of viewed the people of the sun in that lens they were the people who were doing this fantasy world building in the way that you know your old school white fantasy author would and so to me well what makes sense there what if i took a bunch of asian and southeast asian cultures and just jammed together their linguistic conventions with some western things you know for quote-unquote relatability so that's where i was back in 2017 when i put this together so the names that I ended up with were agarwal but spelled differently Chima, Q, uh, Q-E-E-M-A, Lee, uh, which I figured there'd probably just always be Lee's. Jiang, but J-Y-I-N-G, or A-N-G rather. Kwok, but instead of Q-U-O-C-H, it was K-W-O-C-H. Huang, but with a W. Kim with a Y. Jongson, which was like a mixture of Jong, Jiang, and Johnson. Patelson, because I figured sometimes people just put sun on the end of a word, and Patel is an existing name. Lal, Jarma, Pak, which is just a Korean name, Mun, Cruz, Sentis, Reyes, Chan, Q-A-N, and Jackson, Z-H. So I just took uh, Asian and Southeast Asian names and changed the spellings up with uh, Chinese pinyin conventions and then put a Western spin on it and said, this seems like the kind of thing uh, an old fantasy writer would do. That's the genesis of that document, if you were curious about it and sad yeah i know a lot of things that seemed like they were just fun or whimsical have turned out to (laughs) be darker than uh than we may have hoped i mean i always think it's interesting in the last name uh conventions is like a lot of them mean child of Mm -hmm. or that sort of thing so i feel like well i it doesn't matter how i feel but you know i think that's interesting that they kind of jam that in there with the sun where you know i don't know i think that that's less egregious or, or a less terrible egregious yeah sorry i can't pronounce it it's, it's okay. less terrible than i think just being like oh well i'm gonna do this other stuff mangle these names in other ways but again i'm a white woman who just thinks <laughs> that that's you know I, I don't have a real say <laughs> Hmm. I can't say that I would necessarily have done this the same way now as I did in 2017. Like I'm a very different person from I was from who I was when we started this show. My politics have 
changed quite a bit and my understandings of things like intersectionality and depression um, have have evolved and continued to but um like that, that at least was the reasoning behind it well what would you do now i honestly don't know because i haven't really started making a new story since then like the closest i've come is okay well i do know what i would do now is <laughs> i would not be so insular in my planning i was really caught up when we started season one in I don't want the players to know anything about what's really happening. I want everything to be a huge surprise, everything to be a big twist, everything to be a huge cliffhanger. And I have changed in how I approach storytelling. Like I want things to be more collaborative now. And I would probably just say, hey, let's work together to generate what this culture is going to be like, what these names are going to be like, because it shouldn't just be me, one white guy, coming up with all this stuff on my own without any input from anyone else. So that's what I would have done differently. Yeah. I mean, I definitely appreciated the surprises when we got them. I mean, I remember a few times where my mouth literally dropped in the, in the middle of a, the game, which I can't say has happened for a lot of the games that I play in right now. But I also like, you know, taking a more collaborative uh, approach and I'm, I'm glad that you're going that route going forward. Yeah. I still have surprises. That's um oh no. I don't want like the entire premise of the whole story to be a surprise anymore. Oh yeah. Well we definitely had a surprise when we um played uh street magic. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we'll probably get to that with some of these questions. But anyway, um Helga's second question here. What are your favorite characters to play? And what is your favorite character that you don't play? Let's start with your favorite characters to play. You've all played most of you have played more than one character over the course of these two seasons, uh, between side stories, main stories, season breaks, interseasons, street magic, and so on. Uh, so, what are your favorite characters to play? Slip. Slip? Why is that? <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> um, I just love, um, I don't usually play characters that, I think I played Slip smarter than I am. And I don't usually play characters that are smarter than me. And I just like being Slip because Slip was uh, a fun way to just be really goofy, but extremely serious mm. at the same time. And I don't know that I have that opportunity with every other character. Slip was um, a really cool experience in, I think, coming up with a character because we talked about a lot about what Slip is and what Slip was. But again, I was... And this is a, a, an idea, again, where we have that collaborative, but still with surprises stuff. Like, I knew who was in Slip's head, but um, it was because you and I talked about what if Slip was more than one person. And that uh, sort of spun out into a whole bunch of different ideas. Now, originally, go ahead. Yeah, I had no idea who. Yeah, you didn't know who. No, I'm sorry. And in a way, that kind of helped because um, Slip... Originally, when we started season two in 2018, oof, was it 2018? Yeah. <sighs> no, it wasn't 2018, but that no. was when we started planning it. Yeah. Yeah. This is when we started planning it. So you were, uh, yeah, I, can, I went back through our messages. December 19th, 2018, I sent you this message. Okay, so imagine you're a disgruntled military guy or investor, whatever, and you're getting your brain backed up into the brain database for the first time. Imagine also your group of colonialist military jerkwads and rich bastards had recently seized control of or destroyed 
a series of AIs defending and running the space station that your group of jerks has invaded. Now imagine that one or more of those AIs has fragmented and is hiding parts of itself throughout the systems of the weapons platform you're slowly rebuilding into an artificial sun. And now at last, imagine that a fragment of one of those escaped AIs hid inside what seemed to be a dead machine, and that dead machine is also the mechanical body that said disgruntled sun person is having their brain backed up into. He said, I'm a fan, or I'm a fan of this hypothetical. So this mystic would be the mind of a horrible capitalist and a gen- degenerated AI unintentionally mixed. And then we were saying that would also explain how they could do this weird shit in the real station because they're subconsciously manipulating the systems around it. Right. And uh, as you may have noticed <laughs> throughout the history of our story, I am a really big fan of things that seem like magic actually having a weird technological explanation to so that genesis of slip at the time. Um, slip when I was first planning out who's in slips head, uh, slip also had, um, fragments of the person who was originally, or the original person who whiskey tango would become, what am I saying? The original person who would go on to become whiskey tango was a part of slips mentality. I suspected that. Yeah. And that was why they'd had that sort of, um, connection, but we decided not to do that for. Uh, obvious reasons. Um, who else wants to share? What are your favorite characters to play? Uh, I can jump in. Uh, yeah. I think of the ones so far, uh, Augustus was definitely my favorite. Uh, yeah. Not even. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not that much for that, but uh, Augustus was a lot of firsts for me. Yeah. I think I still wasn't in. I think yeah, maybe I think at the time that we started planning, the only other thing I was in flight risk, and Anarchy has a different energy, but she's still you know uh, a big nerd. Mm-hmm. So I think Augustus was my first like social character. You've really uh, grown into a lot of those roles in the many, many streams that you're on. <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely really great practice. And also just like the first time playing a baddie, mm. there was definitely like, um, you know, especially the penultimate episode, at least for Augustus there, where like it was a lot of feelings. It was like, oh, sweet, like my thing worked. But it's like, oh, no, it's a scuzzy thing. I don't feel good about it working. <laughs> So it was just interesting. And I think especially because, uh, you know, we discussed early on, uh, Mike and I, that it was going to be like a party conflict. So I definitely didn't know what was going to happen with Augustus, but they were very much built uh, just to be like the total opposite of Maeve. So mm-hmm. it was cool to, you know, have to uh, settle in and out when we made the character switches. Yeah. And it was a, I think it speaks to how well we all get along as people that the collaboration in how can we make Augustus just the worst? <laughs> the worst. <laughs> like, I, I, don't, I don't feel like it ever led to any, like, personal discomfort or conflict or friction because we just, we understand each other pretty well and we, and we know what we're doing here. Yep. Yeah, like, my, my wish to slay Velvet in combat is purely romantic. Hmm. It, it truly is. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I even said that verbatim when I was coming up with Augustus. I'm like, I'm just going to make the worst person. <laughs> I remember this. You explicitly said the yeah. worst. And I was like, cool, do that. You did it, though. You did it. Yeah, yeah you really, really accomplished it. It was great. It was, a, it was a balancing act as well, because like, I'm always, I want to give characters spotlight moments. And every time I was looking at, okay, well, I need to spotlight Augustus. And then there was always this sort of visceral reaction of like, but Augustus sucks. (laughs) 
Red Velvet is so good at playing this character, but this character sucks. <laughs> it was fun. It was fantastic um, work you did as as uh, Augustus. I have like so many like mind pictures of Augustus just being like this looming, creepy other mother that you've described them as, just like looming over the other two characters. Just and it was just great, just imagining this. Uh, you know, I want to say Tim Burton evil, but very slimy character, and then just you know this very hardened, uh, but goofy revolutionary and then cd just the moral gray in in a sense uh just being completely like not like so involved in other things that they don't notice and and i thought that was interesting when i pictured that in my head but you know it was a it was a much more disparate party in season Mm -hmm. two than we had with the uh the hub kids Oh yeah, no, the Hobkids are like this tight, like family, well-oiled machine sort of thing. Yeah. Trudy, I think you've you've really only played Zora regularly. Yeah, I had Zora and then I had Faye in the in the side story. Yeah. And um, I mean it's it's really hard for me. It's kind of like choosing your favorite child. <laughs> but I think what usually happens to me, and this isn't all games, the character that I like the most happens to be the one that I'm playing at the time. I just I I tend Mm. to just get really obsessed with whatever I'm, you know, playing or, you know, if I'm writing or if I'm drawing, whatever one thing that I'm 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 on at that time, I just I kind of get obsessed about it. And that becomes the one thing that I really enjoy doing. And and that's just how my brain works. So for right now, it'll be Zora. But we'll we'll see (laughs) once I start (laughs) playing someone new in season three, I'm sure they'll be my favorite. Was there anything about playing Zora that was like a stretch for you? It was different from what you're used to doing. I mean, the the whole setting is different from from anything that I've ever played in. Um, most of the games that I've played in have been, you know, D and D settings. So uh, it was interesting getting to react to something that didn't seem, I don't know, um, played out and just based on a bunch of archetypes. Right. So I th- I think for me, you know, having to react to things that were actually surprising was. <laughs> was very different compared to some of the the other games that I've played in over the years. Now you and I have a a different background than I have from uh, the rest of the current party in that you and I have known each other for over a decade. I I think so. And um very we, long time now. We met I think on the Super Robot Wars mush. Yeah, so we <laughs> we used to play characters together on a on a mush which is a text-based role-playing game that was a, a multiverse thing yeah and um that's very different from what we have going on here hold up that's cool as hell (laughs) it was really fun (laughs) yeah no i um i started playing on these text-based role-playing games they're called mushes muds muxes or mux (laughs) and it depends on the code base they're on and they've been around since i believe the 80s when people would log on to them through usenet or some shit but i started playing on these way too young i was about 12 and uh yeah i mean the the one where trudy and i'm i don't know if that was the first time we met but it was certainly where we got to know each other best yeah was a super robot tyson yeah and i remember you also ran combat on on there on that mush right i would occasionally run things there but uh i was always really i would start scenes and you know, want people to get in trouble and cause trouble. I played Amuro Ray there. 
uh, from the original Gundam, but I played him as a an older character because the timeline was past that. But it was kind of interesting looking at who's how what's this character going to be like yeah. in a world where every other robot mecha anime where they're all real at the same time and he's just this burnt out traumatized guy who's doing his best had you really run anything before running things on super robot tyson did that kind of give you the courage to you know maybe maybe run something like a tabletop game or um i had never really considered playing table well actually that's not true in high school i tried to get my lunch buddies to play uh, lunchtime tabletop games with me. I had never played one, uh, had never run one. And I was like, you, you all want to like play D&D or something? And they're like, sure, we'll try it. And then I went to the hobby shop and found out that I would have to spend about $100 to get all the books for D&D and said, um, fuck that. <laughs> the hobby, <laughs> shop, hobby shop owner, do you have any games that's just like one book? Uh, he gave me this thing called Talislanta. Um, which is a, they boasted on it. Everything's in this book. You don't need anything other than this book. Uh, and that's because the book is huge and uh, extremely poorly organized. There's nothing is balanced at all. Uh, and, and it kind of sucks. <laughs> wow. It was a, it was a huge disaster. Uh, my friends weren't really into it. And so it wasn't until I got online and started playing tabletop games with the YouTube crew with like um, Smug and, um, Noel and Mike and Farrell in them that uh, I started thinking maybe I could do this too. But even from there, I tried to run some more story game style games with them and it just not really their style. So uh, that was about when I started thinking, well, I'm just, I'm not really enjoying these types of games as much when I try to run them. What other games are out there? And if this group of friends isn't really into the kind of game as I want to play, can I find some people who are? So I put up that recruitment thing on YouTube and found these wonderful people. <laughs> That's us. Wonderful. What? We're people. But to yeah. answer your question more succinctly, uh, Trudy, I think, yeah, that was sort of the genesis of my desire to run and tell stories collaboratively. Mm. Between there and I played on a Transformers one where I would run some scenes and, uh, you know, with, uh, with Pat and them and Dustin and so on, who I brought in to do InGov service with you. I know. I miss those guys. Yeah. I still talk to them on Twitter. You can probably bother oh, yeah. them there. I still, I still talk to Pat on Twitter sometimes. Okay. Uh, I need to go into the favorite character I played. Yes. Uh, my fair. first, <laughs> my first answer is, Again, like Trudy, I have a hard time picking, but kind of like the first thing that viscerally, I would say like the first character I had the most fun playing and it kind of changed things was Tully. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I did the not expect this boy. answer. Yeah, yeah. did not expect this answer, but it does make sense. Please so, ex expand. So to expand a lot of my, like, I think role play really to go into some philosophy here role play really starts when we're kids and we start playing with toys with other people or maybe by ourselves. I know I did it a lot by myself. And then eventually like with a friend with when it's like, Oh, let's interact with our toys or 
tell stories with our toys. And I know some people it's more like, well, we're going to do a battle or we're going to do this or, or whatever. And for me and my friend, we just came up with this uh, good friend uh, who I'm still friends with um, from very young childhood. Uh, not very young, but fourth grade. Anyway, she and I would play these really weird things with like toys from McDonald's of like lions from the yeah. Lion King. And I kind of would always want to be either the very nice character or, of course, the very cool, cool, like uh, self-assured character because, you know, I didn't f- I'm not the cool, self-assured person. You know, it was kind of this fantasy and then I kind of gravitated to being Keva because I was I was like, well, I want to be the character that is I want to, you know, I don't want to be I want to be useful, I guess, was it? Mm-hmm. And I want to be, you know, I'll I'll try to, you know, I was kind of afraid I would get overpowered and be the quiet. Well, I'm going to just kind of try to fill in this niche that other people don't want, which is kind of like the solid uh, healer at first was my thought. But then Velvet was like, oh, well, I'm going to do an apothecary. I'm like, oh, I guess I'm I'm not the healer. Well, then I guess I'll kind of be a tank. And then Mike was like, well, Emrin's this big, strong guy. And I'm like, I don't know what the heck I am. <laughs> uh, and from there, Keva kind of just became, I want to say, like the Katara or the Aerith or whatever. And I was like, well, that's that's nice. That's good. Um, and I kind of got used to playing her as that. And I kind of got used to that role. But then it was sort of like, well, okay, pl- play whatever. We're going to try this system out. And I had done uh, the Blue Fairy uh, Maria, which was kind of weird and didn't feel as good to me and then i played terry which was just sort of me being trying to be as goofy as possible but then like really i don't know and it just felt really good to be just this oddball character that okay they were strong you know which a lot of people really gravitate towards when they role play they want to be like the murder hobo hmm and for me, you know, I was like, well, I don't want to do that. But then it was kind of fun having it be like, well, this character is just complete chaos. So maybe they'd be a murder hobo. But that's just because things went south in a, in a way. And it, it didn't get to that point of where it was full on murder hobo. But from then it was kind of like, well, I don't have to, you know, obviously before then I had realized I don't have to be you know, just the kind of sideline thing. And honestly, I know that I can be a little overpowering in conversations, but that's partly because of the fact that I'm afraid that I will be uh, forgotten or drowned out, you know, if I'm going to go in a little psychologically there. So uh, then CD got to be really fun to play because it was kind of a nice balance and they were kind of their own thing. So they could be really crazy and kooky in a way I really liked, but also useful sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you were going to say, well, what, like, if you were like, well, okay, give us a real answer instead of Tully, then I'd say, okay, CD. Okay. Cause you got to explore new spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I think for me, I don't know if this question is directed at me too, but 
you're a player too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, because I have so many characters and they all get so little screen time comparatively, I don't really get to dig into them on screen. But uh, I, you know, for a lot of characters, I have, you know, the deep lore in the back of my mind. But for the ones that are my favorites to bring onto the screen and have them do stuff, I mean, obviously, Mandukai is, you know, top five for sure, because she's just like, in a lot of ways, a pure power fantasy. She's, you know, she's powerful. She is funny. She's flirty in a way. And like, she's just got all of these things that, you know, who wouldn't want to be like Mandukai? Um but I got to, you know, throw some depth in there as well. Like Mandukai has to go through that arc of, well, okay, do I have to get involved now? Or can I just, can I just keep my people safe? Or do I have to get involved in this larger conflict? And the way that she moves into that role, uh, I think was, uh, was fun to go through. Beyond that, I think um, Lean is, of course, fun too. Just being sarcastic and sassy and shooting lasers. Let's go maybe a little a little more quickly through what is your favorite character that you don't play? And let's, um, why don't we just, we'll go down the list. So we'll start with Keekers, your favorite character you don't play. Uh, this is a cop-out because they're an NPC. It's Terry, um, because, again, kind of sassy, very, like, different than you expect. I also like the fact, the backstory, you know, they're a part of Eater R. I just like their personality, like the, Terry personality and I always like the way they interact with people Terry's really fun I based yeah. Terry on a character from a children's tv show that um my oldest son was really into uh, around the time when I was starting this uh planning for Terry and that's um what is that character's name I my interest is so peaked right now like so the show is naughty toyland detective which is on, it's on Netflix. And the character is called Deltoid. So Deltoid is this, all the, all the characters are toys. Um, and Deltoid is like a superhero action figure. And he's got that, you know, big buff look, wears a tank top and a cape, hair up in a giant buzz cut. I'll see if there's a image that I can share to all of you here. I feel like that's kind of like a character archetype archetype way though because it makes me think it's like oh a little bit like buzz lightyear similar idea yeah that's deltoid there so the thing that inspired me for terry from deltoid is uh the speech patterns for one because deltoid deltoid talks like this and he's always saying yes it is i deltoid <laughs> so i just took that you know entirely for terry because it was fun to me yeah terry's cool um okay characters should be fun first and then uh sorry this is a random philosophy from what i've experienced characters should be fun first and second of all not a huge pain to play with <laughs> all right mike is your favorite character you don't play if it's pc i think my favorite pa- character i've never i don't play is crate <laughs> great because i love the idea of an absolute meathead Pokemon yeah. trainer. <laughs> uh, excuse me, Satchel Folk trainer. Satchel Folk yeah. trainer. I need to bring um, him back somehow, but I don't know he's how. Truly, the, the most outrageous character ever. But I think my favorite NPC that we've met that I wish I could play. I don't know what game you'd ever 
you'd ever play a character like this, but I really want to play the Lodger Stark. <laughs> the Lodge, that would be so cool. I want to be a big ship. Yeah. The Lodge of Stark is, uh, was another cool idea. That one was, um, she is inspired by the culture novels by Ian M. Banks, where the ships are these massive AIs that they kind of view humans as cute pets that they take care of and protect. And so that's where the Logistark came from. Oh, I did cheap out and not say a PC character. And I want to say maybe Veronica Sterling <laughs> off the cuff here. Oh, gosh. Because I love the idea no, of this character. Who has, yeah, I love the character idea of this character that has a lot of power, but isn't that smart? Mm. And so it's just <laughs> sort of like, oh, what, what am I doing? Okay. Veronica was a hell of a character, yeah. She uh, is a thing that exists. <laughs> Trudy. Whiskey Tango, and I think that that needs no real explanation. Mm. Fair. The bad man. Yeah, bad man, but uh, very compelling. Yes. Um, okay. The the tragedy of Whiskey Tango that we never got to. At the end, uh, Whiskey Tango was, was he they. At the end, when he was clawing at his face and weeping outside the door there, it's because his memories also had been restored. And uh, Whiskey Tango had originally been a, uh, a partner of Alejo's. And because... What? Uh, he oh, was. I, I fully floor. figured that. <laughs> yeah, wow. I kind of. I thought you had figured that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whiskey Tango <laughs> was originally again a police abolitionist and uh, uh, you know anarchist activist, and the Solar Free State and specifically General Griefer said, uh, "No, I'm going to twist you into a monster. I'm going to make you that which you hate the most." Whoa. Damn. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we were able to save some pieces of him at least. And some, some, something. Yeah. yeah. Sucks to be Whiskey Tango, honestly. But uh, we never really got into that. And Must, must agree. I, I hate to say that all I'm like is like, he's like Shadow. <laughs> the Hedgehog. The Hedgehog? Uh, what? His memory has got twisted around. And, well, okay, so it's adventure, Sonic Adventure 2, spoilers. Uh, he wants to destroy the world because he thought that his childhood friend maria was telling him basically like get revenge for me but it had been twisted around and it was really save everyone protect everyone for me uh, uh velvet i think i mean for so pc i would say alejo i thought alejo was super cool i wish we had gotten like more of that angle and then uh like mpc well, I mean, my favorite NPC is Mandika. That's not a secret. But I think for the the ones that I didn't get to play, I would say Gentrifier because I think out of everyone that we saw, like we know all the Sunfolk are terrible people, but I think Jennifer was even worse than Augustus in that mm-hmm. she said the quiet part out loud. <laughs> yeah, I I still remember very carefully saying her full name, Jennifer Trifier, every time <laughs> I referenced her, and I slipped up one time. Yeah, yeah, I don't uh, think we got it until you made the slip and we were like, I'm oh. so yeah. dumb. I felt so dumb for two yeah, years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, she extremely sucks, but she's just, she was so easy to embody because there are so many of her in the world. Mm-hmm. Everywhere you look, there's a gentrifier. Um, you know, that, that person who is happily and gladly appropriating aesthetics without ever engaging with the cultures behind them and just like, profiting off of oppression all that stuff she's everywhere 
Okay, the next question was uh, for me. How did you decide what abilities the Splinter Kids got? Was it random or inspired by the characters' personalities? I always thought they fit everyone's personalities really well in a kind of roundabout way, and I wonder if that was coincidence or on purpose. That was on purpose. The Splinter Kids, the powers, I started off the season not knowing what kind of powers they were going to get, and because I wanted to know what kind of characters they were. And from there, I thought, what's an interesting power that's not like a common superpower that would fit in with how these players are engaging with their characters in the world? What's something, an interesting angle I can give them to engage with the world in the way that they seem to want to? And I don't know if that worked out perfectly, but the basic idea was Emrin, uh, you know, is a is a blacksmith and so likes to shape things and build things. and. So I thought, what if Emrin could shape one thing any way that he wanted? What if he could like embody this? What if he could see through it and become a part of it and be deeply connected to it? Because this material is the heritage of his people. So I want this material to be the thing that he has the symbiotic relationship with. So that's how the SGM came to be. And like, You've asked before, it's come up several times, why is it that Emran can only do this with SGM? And it's because that's his people's heritage. The SGM was what built Hablon. It's what built these cities, what built the ships of the League of Orbital Nations. It was the material that was one of the triggers for the uh, United Shareholders of America and their allies to come for uh, the League of Orbital Nations. And because it is so tied up in the liberation of of uh, of their people, I thought we'll tie Emrin to this material in this way. That was how that one the that was the intention there, and I don't know if it worked out entirely as as I'd hoped. But and uh, Velvet, I saw Velvet was always very interested in this mastermind kind of route of planning things out, having eyes everywhere, and the the domination or control aspect being important to Maeve, being able to control things and know things and impose her will on things. And so I thought, well, what's a power that could fit with that? Well, what if she can become a hive mind? What if she can control these, uh, these creatures, these insects that, that can go anywhere, do anything. And some of them are going to be real big. And, um, I felt that that was, going to be a fit for the type of personality I saw Maeve taking on. For um, Keva, the thing that seemed important to Kikers and to Keva when I was planning out this power was the connection between people, forming connections and tending to those connections and bringing people together. And so the hair was the blending power was what would allow her to do that on a, in a very literal way. Uh, so Keva can take elements from different things that she connects to and put them together and help them to understand each other or make a new thing in that way. And uh, beyond that, they can be used to protect, which, again, seemed important to the character of Keva and Kikers. And I don't know if I've laid all this out like this before, but um, I don't know. What did you get from this? Was there anything that I was missing there? I remember that you had originally wondered, like, well, I wonder if Kev, you talked to me a bit about it. Like, you would ask us specifically um, way back when, 
do you mind their appearances being or this sort of thing about them being altered? And I think Velvet, you were like, oh, I have no problem whatsoever. I would love that. And for me, I was like, you had said something about um, Keva having like a safe or I had equivalent, uh, done some equivalent. Uh, stuff was going to come out of her hands. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, I don't like that. Um, because to me, uh, I don't know if I ever talked about that as much. And I know I get into this later about Keva. Uh, to me, that felt wrong and something Keva would hate and something because I would hate mm-hmm. if something came out of my hands because my hands are one of my biggest things, if, if that makes sense. As someone on the autistic spectrum, I stim a lot with yeah. fabric. And touch is one of those really big things. And if my sense of touch gets messed up with something, I'm having a really, really hard time. Like, for example, when I was younger, I couldn't wear tights because I hated the way those felt. And to me, when I I heard about that, I was like, I can't stand the idea of having something on my hand constantly. Mm -hmm. And then you had said, well, what about her hair? This sort of like neural thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Just as long as she doesn't lose all of her hair, because that would also be. Um, It'd be upsetting for you and for her. Yeah. Her hair was important to her, as I recall. Yeah, it was. It was uh, generally it's like a connection to her mother and mm-hmm. and all that. So, yeah, I said she can lose some of it. But, yeah, that's how we got to the point where it would be like it would be just the strands in the front. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like uh, that come down from her temples. Yeah. That's where the power lies. Oh, and yeah, obviously the other thing for, um, for Maeve was the, the transformation aspect, the physical transformation, being able to take on aspects of not only the creatures that she controls, but also just to be able to shape her body eventually as she wished in whatever way she wanted. So that I think fit again with some of the conversations that I had had with you, Velvet, about what you wanted to do with her. Yeah, no, and I definitely appreciated the check-in, uh, even if it went like, hey, uh this is a thing would you be okay for that i'm like have you met me hell yeah <laughs> yeah there was a it was a swing in each one and again i was being more secretive than maybe i needed to be but uh, mike how did you feel about memron's powers i don't know if i've laid out for you the whole why of it before um honestly at the time i was just down for everything and since then it's become like kind of poignant because i'm really lost his sight and i'm personally losing like my hearing is degrading hmm. and so like i definitely didn't play emran the way i would have played emran now right and like that's disappointing there's a lot of different things that i would have done with uh, hindsight in play but yeah to to know to know the why of the sgm so particularly is very alleviating to my <laughs> to my um frustrated misunderstanding of like i want to do this to all metal matt yeah i'm you know i i should have been very clear with that from uh from earlier on so i'm sorry i never went over that with you that's why yeah i think speaking of things in hindsight um i would not have gm fiat blinded emran if i were running that now that would have been a thing i would have said are you okay with this and it would also be something i would want to approach with much more I guess, research and sensitivity than I did at the time because there are blind people in the world. And that was, I didn't want to present it as a thing that ended Emran's, you know, Emran's life or utility or anything, but the 
confluence of well, Emran's blind, but also Emran can still kind of see, and Emran can see in 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 a new way. And it's just something that I I'm not sure how I'd approach it now, or if I would just do it entirely differently. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I would probably do something differently. Mm-hmm. Just personally, and obviously, it's something I would these days uh, just offer as an optional consequence. Is this something you're comfortable with doing with your character, as opposed right. to saying Emran goes blind from the sun? But yeah, it's again, we've, it's been four years, <laughs> yeah, three and a half years since we started this. We've all changed a lot. And Zora's power is that she's like invested with these, uh, I don't want to say holy abilities because as, as we learned, it's not really a, a holy thing, but you know, there's a connection between Zora and, uh, and, and Iterar and the other fragments of Gov that still exist in the world that mm-hmm. make her more than. And that sword, you know, contains some parts of them as well. And actually, it's something that we'll have to think about moving into season three, because we decided that Zora was on that first team of Wayfinders that uh, is now stranded in Dr. Moonlock Powerbomb's world. Oh, no. So the question would be like, would Zora still have access to her heightened strength and and abilities there? Huh. That's something we can think about if we ever look beyond that veil. Yeah. Zora's just five and a half feet tall now. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Eva's world. Zora's still taller than I am, so <laughs> five and a half feet. <laughs> um, next question. Are Alejo Cabrera or CD coming back next season? If not, I am going to really miss both of their voices. Yep. Uh, this is a poignant thing because uh, Helga had asked me this point blank blank um a bit ago and she had shared with me uh, about alejo's voice being very comforting to her oh uh, because oh i hope she doesn't yell at me if i say this but i, I didn't come off as something extremely bad but if I'll, I'll i'll double check with her and then let you know if you cut this out or whatever okay. but basically it was like um a family friend of hers had that similar accent from way back and she's like oh it's it's like i'm talking with him again or hearing uh, him t- yeah oh uh, yeah he's coming back <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've convinced me <laughs> maybe it's good then i'll i'll ask her uh but anyway well, um, i'm gonna go cry sorry uh the answer every time <laughs> the answer is cd is coming back uh i can't let go of, of them um, because again, I love them and their quirky ways. And I don't think I'm going to ever, I'm probably not going to p- end up playing as them. That's unlikely, but they are going to be at least a NPC that does have, uh, is in c- control of certain things that I will play as them to control, I guess is one way of putting it. Yeah. They're going to be in the faction that you as a player are taking or adopting, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that brings us to the last question from Helga, which is actually more of a comment. Uh, Helga says, you should call the podcast Sobs, S-O-B-S for short, because I ended both finales in tears. Uh, well, you're you're not alone there. Fair. Pretty sad. Yeah. I certainly had uh, a lot of feelings um, in, in both finales. Got rough toward the end. I, mm-hmm. I do like shortening it as that, though. I really do. <laughs> Okay, uh, questions from Dwayne. 
if you could play one of the other PCs, which would it be? We've kind of talked a little bit about yeah. your favorite character you don't play. So um, if you could play one of the other PCs, what do you think, Keekers? Yarrow. Yarrow? Yarrow. Yeah. Can you do the voice? Uh, oh, God, I need something to ew. say. Let me try. <laughs> I mean, can Keekers do Yarrow's oh, voice? Hell yeah. <laughs> Well, I expect I could probably pull off that sort of voice, but yeah, pretty good. I don't reckon I could probably come up as, as with as good as metaphors as my dear, dear friend Michael. It's got to be flemmier. I feel like it needs yeah. more phlegm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, there's, if there's one thing you could say for Michael Blunt, it, they're full of phlegm. <laughs> uh, Michael Blood. I'm uh, speaking of. If I could play another one of the PCs, I, I do want to create, but I also I want to play create in a Satchel Folk RPG and not in <laughs> Stories of a Broken yeah. Sun. Like, yeah, um, like a little like a little pixel JRPG, yeah. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah, just like a <laughs> uh, but if I had to choose a different PC, I think I'd want to play I'd want to play Keva because I love halflings and Keva gives me heavy halflings <laughs> vibes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. My dad calls me and my mom hobbits. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's brutal. Yeah. Well, we're both very short, and um, our feet can get hairy. So, do, so, so there you say. go. So they say. Yeah. So they say. Uh, but what was I going to say in regards to that? I don't remember what the heck I was saying. All right, um, Trudy. If you could play one of the other PCs. Oh, geez. This is one of those things that's really hard. I, I think I'd suck at playing most of the PCs. Not true. Um, Everything no, no. personality. Go for it. <laughs> that's um, not true. <laughs> well, I'm not good at accents, and I'm not I'm not good at playing funny characters. I'm like, my instinct was I'd like to play, like, if I were any good at it, I'd want to play, uh, like, one of Pat's characters, like Squall, just mm. because they were <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> And I, I, but I suck at playing very ridiculous characters. Um, I'm gonna try and push myself and ch change that this season, but we'll see how it goes. I'm gonna play Squall, but go back and resurrect Hector <laughs> and just be nice. Uh, <laughs> Hector deserve Hector and Faria just deserve a break. Mm. Truly, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could just. Play all of us, Trudy. Just make us like Chimera. <laughs> Ooh, velvet. What? <laughs> no, no, ew. This isn't Full Metal Alchemist. Everything into one being AI, and then Trudy plays it. No, I mean you guys. You guys are, or rather, you people, you folks, are just so good at what you do, and um, you know, so sometimes I, I kind of feel like I'm out of my out of my head. Uh, that's not quite the phrasing that I wanted, um, but that I'm just out of my 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 out of my field. <laughs> you do incredible I, though. No, no, no. Yeah. You you guys are the great ones. It's just us, like all exhibiting like major imposter syndrome, <laughs> which is the real thing. Everyone deserves recognition here. Yeah, I, I do suffer from imposter syndrome, so guilty as charged. I mean, I think you, you came up with some of my favorite things in street magic. So please don't uh, feel out of your depth, your yes, creativity. That was the word I was looking for. Thank you. Depth. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, Velvet. Uh, actually, that's a great segue. I would have actually loved to have played Zora, but I don't think I would have been able to pull it off uh, for a variety of reasons. I've never been able to play like legitimately pious characters. The closest I get is a warlock planning to overthrow their patron. So <laughs> anyone that can like do that as well as you have, Trudy, is Shevskis. As in selfies, as in role playing, Velvet is addicted to angles. <laughs> I mean, you know. I think most people think I'm a cute, but I've definitely been called obtuse. Boy. <laughs> I think we need to warm you <laughs> up <laughs> to piety. So, like, we'll start you off by being a Jedi, because then it's like a piety towards no. a force that's not necessarily a being. No, have you not listened to oh, Flight I'm, I'm talking about... <laughs> No, you're right. I was thinking more like the Qui-Gon Jinn type of thing, but okay. Yeah, Qui-Gon Jinn is definitely out there with like several VDs. <laughs> <laughs> Qui-Gon Jinn was the Jedi the most into eugenics. Yeah. <laughs> Super true. Oh, Qui-Gon. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Colleen. Okay. I just have a I understand. I understand what you, I understand what, what you're meaning to say, Colleen. I get it. Okay, good. And I, I care. It, you play like a character with a, a piety towards an ideal uh, mm. as opposed to a, a deity. Exactly. There Thank you, you please. I, Thank you for understanding. That's what I meant. I, I don't mean. No, I, I just, I, I'm a big grouch and I, <laughs> I bullied you and I apologize. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and thinking back to back when I first started playing Zora, everyone else was goofy. I kind of felt like I had to play someone straight, you know? <laughs> yeah. It made that, it made the podcast hysterical. Yeah, <laughs> it was so great. When you the Zora as the straight woman to especially Squall, but like even <laughs> Quanjoy got got a little goofy at times. But <laughs> it was yeah. just like Zora and Squall were like polar opposites in almost every regard. <laughs> Real odd couple power there. I remember feeling really sorry for the whole game session. I'm like, this is probably not what Arp was expecting. <laughs> That's pretty much what I expected, putting the three of you together. Uh, if I could play one of the PCs, which would it be? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought of that because I, I guess I wasn't considering myself as a PC, so I thought maybe this question wouldn't apply. I think I'd play Slip. I think I'd want to play Slip. Yeah, <laughs> you give Slip energy. Yeah. Nervous energy, definitely. Don't well, I, I understand that deep anxiety. <laughs> Just everything is going to go bad at all times. Yeah. Like the, the social anxiety that plagues my every moment of existence uh, was, I think, uh, nicely, slot nicely into playing Slip. <laughs> uh, did your character evolve the way you thought they would when you first came up with them, Geekers? Oh, okay. So um, I'm so glad I prepared answers or vague ideas of answers ahead of time. That's why I gave the yeah. questions ahead of time. Yes, thank <laughs> it you. It was much appreciated. Um, this is funny because I was reflecting on this during Cobra Kai. Mm. And that show makes me introspective about the ideas of nobody's really necessarily bad. They just have bad experiences that then they either react positively or negatively to. But anyway, um, with Keva, I didn't like go into it basically 
wanting to have her reflect me as much, but I think a lot of my own personal uh, things came in. So, for example, I didn't, I kind of went in wanting her to be more uh, typical brained. And I realized that there were certain things about myself or that were like myself coming out into her. And then I kind of started leaning into it because I realized it was kind of pointless. So basically, I didn't think Keva was going to evolve into an Aspie uh, and also reflect my own feeling of inadequacies. But I kind of let that happen after a little bit. I let my guard down and I feel like that was rewarding in a way. Yeah. Uh, Because... Again, I would say Kev was like one part of myself. I would say CD is another part of myself in in a way. And I think that that's kind of one of the things that just kind of happens when you role play. There's something about yourself that does get reflected into a person Mm -hmm. when you do it because it's you who's doing it. And yeah, I do think that was rewarding. Like, um, As I've mentioned before, our show is very small and we don't get a lot of engagement from Mm. audience members. Like I know people are listening. (laughs) I know that there are people listening. But when I do get feedback on the show, rare as that is, an inordinate amount of it is people saying that they really appreciate seeing uh, an autistic character who is, that's not the only thing about them. But like there are these, uh, these signals that you put into your characters that allows those uh, people with autism who are listening to the show to feel represented and understood and seen. There was a very excited one that I I showed you. I believe it was from Eliza and just this really excited, like, Oh my God, like Keva Stims. Yeah. And they were just so excited to see that type of, uh, you know, representation of their character without it being the only thing about the character like you so often see in in media oh yeah like you say like these bad representations like sheldon cooper from the big bang theory who they just made him odd and then they're like oh i guess he is autistic and it's like that's that's not what autism is it's not an oddity and i would say as someone who found out that they were on the spectrum a lot later in life, I have that on Twitter that I found out when I was 19, mm-hmm. you know, and I was already like, I had to always have like, oh, well, I have a hard time making friends and I have a hard time doing this and this and I don't know why. And I guess I'm just a dysfunctional person. And then having this answer come up, eventually, I think has helped me and of course it also gives me a name to curse under my breath if i'm having a bad day but i think it was kind of healing to have that be reflected and cover and kind of voice certain things i've felt in that thing Mm -hmm. and to flip it over and change subjects the way i want to always um is with cd i didn't expect cd to end up having as much heart if that makes sense i originally had played the idea of cd just being this straight up death being of death and uh healing you know and basically just being all about 
oh, I'm trying to fix this and do this and, you know, take care of the dead. And, and uh, But then CD became a lot more of a person, which surprised me. Yeah, I think the season two characters, a lot of the ideas that we started off with were fairly, I guess, a little less fleshed out because there was maybe, a, maybe I'm speaking out of my butt here, but for me, there was a greater level of faith that we would find them by bouncing them off of each other. And yep. I think that really, uh, really worked. Um, thank you. Uh, to do Mike. All right. So Amrin, when I made Amrin, I was, I've been playing role playing games for like my whole life. It's my earliest memory. But when I made Amrin, I made an absolute nothing character. <laughs> I just imagined <laughs> Hank Swordman, and that's who I'm gonna play. <laughs> And just like you said, Matt, it just over the time just eventually became a person. I'm not sure. I'm not sure of any conscious decisions that I made to like have Emran be a certain way other than belligerent blacksmith. And that it, he got so much more interesting and emotional over time. Yeah. And yeah, I think that that has to do with us like getting to know each other, of course. It's, I think getting to know each other and I think. Part of this in season one was also because by chance, basically, we all ended up in a lot of situations where it was just you, it was just your characters, and there wasn't anyone else around. And you were interacting with strange things beyond comprehension more than other people. And I think that really pushed all of you to find how your characters would respond to all this wild shit. Um, so I don't know, I'm not going to take full credit for that or anything, but it's just because we just happened to keep picking these directions to take the story that ended up being isolated. Uh, it, it ended up kind of like the same way a, a show might do a bottle episode, but it was almost a bottle season. Word. Um, Trudy. Yeah, so when you first asked me to kind of play in the side story, the, I, I didn't know anything. I hadn't listened to your podcast, and I basically only knew what you told me, which was we were playing the, the bad guys, and uh, you had kind of filled me in a, a little bit on, I guess, the world itself. And so I wanted to play someone who was, you know, like a straight character because, you know, the other, the other people we were playing with I, I knew wouldn't be able to to, to keep that um, going. <laughs> but I also kind of wanted to play someone that was like s sympathetic, I guess. Like right. Zora really thought that what she was doing was the right thing. Mm -hmm. And she turned out to be wrong. And I think that even in real life that, you know, there's people out there that are like that, that really think that the way that they're, you know, going about living their lives is, is the right way. And so I, I thought I was just going to be playing her, you know, for that one shot or maybe maybe just a few one shots. I didn't anticipate her playing her for the longer term. So, you know, I never expected getting her to where she is. And I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where she's going to land. And, um, you know, now that she kind of has some time to herself with like the time skip, I'm hoping that when we see her in the future, she'll be a little more steady and less being pulled by the seat of her pants through all of this craziness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was interesting because I, I liked the character of Zora so much and that's a big, well, not a big, well, that is part of why I thought, you know, why don't I get Trudy back on the show? 
you know, why, you know, we've, we've, we're coming up to the finale and I, I asked Pat and Dustin as well, if they wanted to come to the finale, they weren't able to make room in their schedule. But by that point, it's like, well, Zora's here. She was here for the finale. So she should probably be here when the characters wake up on the sun. And that's, uh, that's what led to bringing you back in for that. And I was very glad that you agreed to that and, and have stuck around. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Uh, Velvet. Like pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> we love having you yes well thank you guys (laughs) oh gosh Maeve is uh Maeve is interesting because Maeve is Maeve is in a lot of ways too close to home and maybe that's why she hasn't uh, grown a terrible amount uh Broken Sun was essentially my first serious um kind of TTRPG experience I think before that I had only you know had a couple of sessions of D&D uh, with a local group before things broke up because of scheduling differences and some people had beef and that type of stuff. And then uh, I couldn't find a group, like even, you know, online. I couldn't. And I was about to throw in the towel, like, well, I guess I'm just, I just don't get to play these <laughs> until I randomly saw the, you know, the casting call from ARP uh, on their YouTube channel. And I was like, ah, fuck it. I'll apply. I'm so glad you did. Oh, definitely. And I think uh, it's funny because 2017 was like the shitty year. Like I I, I came out to my family (laughs) New Year's Eve of 2016 into 2017. And there were like three days of silence before they were very shitty about it. Mm, And it was that transitional period of like, you know, end of senior year of high school into freshman year of college. So, you know, a lot of people skipped states. A lot of people just dropped me after I came out. So it was like a good six or seven months of just like total isolation and dissociation uh, until I got on Broken Sun that I just wasn't talking to anyone. Mm. And that really informed Maeve because Maeve is uh, Maeve's just angry. Or she had gotten, she started at that point where she had been so angry for so long that then it was just kind of that numb kind of angry. Yeah. So that informed her a lot. And, you know, I think we've we've mentioned it maybe on the bird app, uh, some of the posts or just in conversation amongst ourselves. I don't remember. Uh, but Maeve is trans. And I tried yeah. to fit that in through just subtle descriptions as best I could. I don't know how well I conveyed that. But that's why, you know, kind of that metamorphosis uh, was so meaningful and poignant. Because even then before uh, Arp said that was going to be, you know, like one of her powers, uh, I had, you know, tossed out ideas and made it known that she was going to try to figure out if the nanites uh, could kind of help alleviate the dysphoria in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we talked about that um, pretty consistently while we were working through Maeve and the type of character she was going to be together. And uh, I remember one of the things that, again, one of the things I would do differently is you were telling me about there are these natural ways that people historically have, you know, taken this herb or eaten that thing or the other to help them with their transitioning. And, um, my line at the time was there are a lot of good things about the, there are a lot of good things about how the domain of gov, how gov's domain works, how the church of gov works, because I didn't want it to be the same kind of dystopia we always see. I wanted it to be dystopic not because all the same prejudices exist, but for other reasons. And 
my one of the things I had at the time was the Church of Gov accepts trans people. However, it still discriminates against them by saying being trans is like a a score multiplier for your debt because it makes your life harder. Therefore, you pay off your debt more. And that's another thing where it's like at the time I didn't know I was uh, a part of, of that community. But it's something where I should have thought about that more and, you know, consulted with, with people about that more and been more open and collaborative about it with. But um, I, I was glad that we got to the point where Maeve's powers allowed her to transition. And uh, probably that we should have let that happen faster. But I was glad that we were able to do that. Um, your characters evolved the way you thought they would when you first came up with them. Uh, famously, I guess I'll talk a little bit about Den and Lean. Well, I don't know if it's famously. Again, we have like 10 listeners. But, uh, famously amongst the people. 10 of the best listeners ever. Yeah. You're all wonderful and we love you. We're a small, tight-knit family. The uh, Just like Vin Diesel would want. Original story of this podcast was a novel that I started writing about 10 years ago now. And uh, in that novel, Den is the main character. And he goes through a lot of the things that the characters in that you played end up going through. Like he discovers that the world that he lives in is, is not what he thinks it is and that he's actually on a space station. And, um, and he has this connection to the broken sun that, that no one can really explain, but which makes him of interest to the church. And, uh, so the character of Den is like the chosen one, basically. And lean is like the foil to that because, you know, she's his sister. She's also from, uh, descended from people from outside of the station. And that also gives her some type of connection to, to the sun and all that. So Dan and Lean are kind of on rails in a lot of ways because they're following the chosen one and their foil narrative. And that just keeps going. Like Den is now the leader of the, the church of gov and he's trying to implement these different reforms and this and that and the other, he still sucks because he's this chosen one archetype. But he's one of those characters where like he still firmly believes that everything that he's done, everything that he's done has been for the greater good of the purpose of um, destroying the rot at the heart of the Church of Gov and rebuilding it better than it was before. And to that end, he has done so many horrible things like a lot of Chosen One characters do. Um, but he hasn't ever really accepted that maybe this isn't the only way. Maybe he's not the only one who can do this. So he's, he's still on that track, I think. So in answer to that question, yes, I think he's still evolving the same way that I thought he would when I first came up with him. Okay. What was the most unexpected or hilarious thing to happen to your character so far, Geekers? Um, okay. So for Keva, one thing, it wasn't a big thing, but I thought it was really hilarious at the time. And I still look back on it and get a chuckle is the tasty pasty, uh, montage. <laughs> And um, just Geekers? sorry, there's been okay. something that's happening here. Um, Do you need to take a break? I need to take a break for a second and talk this out. But basically, it was the tasty pasty. I'm trying to bring it back as a running gag a little bit. I hope that's not too forced. And then with CD, it was the violin situation. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, it was... Uh, just something that happened serendipitously, and it wasn't exactly funny 
but also, well, it was a little funny that that was going to be CD's reaction, but also just out there. Oh, thank you. Uh, Mike? I, the funniest thing that's happened to Slip is definitely successfully stealing a tank with Augustus and then delivering it to the doorstep of our enemies. <laughs> that was <Yeah>. so dumb. <laughs> and it was delightful. <laughs> I think not something funny that happened to Emran, but something funny that happened to me while playing Emran was forgetting about gravity. <laughs> and the, the reverse repel. The reverse mean? repel. I get clowned in my group chat. <laughs> Like once once a month, I think one of my friends will bring it up because they've all listened to that part of the podcast. Good, good. And I get clowned on real hard for reverse repelling. Oh, I think the the funniest thing that happened to Emran was trying to punch debris that was falling and fully breaking his hand. Yeah, that was dumb of me. It was it was an understandable instinct, and it's just the the dice didn't roll the way we would hope they would in there. Nope, and they haven't since. Uh, Trudy. Yeah, um, not really hilarious, but unexpected uh, should no no doubt be a surprise. Finding out everything that she thought was true was really just a lie and that she's been manipulated. Um, that was extremely unexpected for me, and it was extremely unexpected for Zora. Mm. As far as hilarious, God, the, the whole thing with Squall, everything with Squall. <laughs> <laughs> Squall? Just, yeah. the the, the goat everything uh velvet i think the funniest thing with me was that first episode just how long it took to get over that wall no no Uh, oh my god that will forever just haunt my ttrpg career (laughs) and i think for augustus the funniest thing was failing and dying It was super funny, I'm not gonna lie. I had to stifle myself from laughing when I killed no, you. I, I knew it too after the solo episode. I was like, I rolled too well. I'm gonna pay for it later. So bad. It was setting you up for a big fall. Yeah, I mean, that wall thing again, that was on me. Uh, I wasn't as experienced a, a game runner as, as I am now. Like nowadays, that's the kind of thing that I would hand wave. Yeah, you get over the wall. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is this is not an important obstacle. It doesn't matter. It felt so important to me. It it was so important. It set the scale. It hurt me. It hurt me. That wall is my mortal enemy. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Who's your favorite NPC? I think we basically did this already. But uh, yeah, who are your favorite characters that you don't play? You already mentioned your favorite NPCs, so we we've got that one. Okay. If you had to cast either Sesame Street. Or Muppets characters as the Broken Sun characters. Who would play whom? Snuffy as Emran. You think so? Nice. Snuffleupagus. Yeah. yeah. That's a good call. And then Beaker as Slip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense to me. I think uh, I love it. It's so hard to think of Zora as a Muppet or a Sesame Street character. All I can think of is Big Bird. <laughs> Big Bird. <laughs> Oh yeah, Big Bird. <laughs> I love to imagine Big Bird with a big ass sword. <laughs> I was gonna say the, the yeah. eagle guy. What's the eagle oh, guy's the name? The eagle guy. Sam yes. Eagle. Sam Eagle. Sam Eagle. Yeah, I can see that actually. <laughs> I say this looks unsafe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who do you think for Augustus? Is there a Muppet or Sesame Street character? I would have said Big Bird just because of the height, and then <laughs> Maeve would have been the count. Hmm. Oh, the count, yeah, that makes sense. One legion of birds, 
two legions two of legion bugs. Two legions of bugs. I figured it would either be that or Oscar the Grouch. Yeah, it was either Oscar or the Count. I'm like, aesthetic-wise, the Count, but like personality-wise, probably Oscar. Sorry, uh, interjecting here as I'm cleaning because they decided to show the house today. Oh. <laughs> Yay. Um, yeah, it's fun. Uh, anyway, to quickly say, uh, actually, Keva, personality-wise, I would say Big Bird because of um, very kind and benign, benign. Um, basically, and then for CD, I was thinking Gonzo because of how off the wall they are. Mm. Just uh, replace the love of chickens with <laughs> death. Just, just a little bit of necro romance for you. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. And of course, uh, Mandakai would be animal. Well, yeah, yeah, animal. Everyone knows that animal is trans. That's true. I'm I'm claiming that right now. So it's a question for me. How did the story progress compared to what you originally envisioned when building the world? Very, very differently. Like, we've hit some similar plot beats to what I had in the original novel outline, which I transformed into a season one to three outline. But it's, it's extremely different. Like, uh, in the original vision, you know, there would have been a lot more direct conflict with the Church of Gov and its ministers and all that than uh, we ended up having. And uh, the getting outside stuff would have taken place much later than it did. But you all activated Hub extremely quickly <laughs> compared to what I had been planning. So that was a, a big surprise. And uh, they said the biggest curveball the players threw at you, that might be it. You're just like, nah, we want this. We want this ghost. Give us the ghost. Give me the ghost. Like, all right. Uh, let me just rewrite everything. <laughs> so that was a uh, that was good. That was, I think, where we started to really have a huge deviation from what I had expected. And uh, it's been so much better than, than those original plans. Uh, let's see. Questions from me to all of you. Do you have a scene or a moment that you wish had happened differently? Uh, I think we've touched on this a little bit, but if you want to uh, go into any more detail, uh, Keekers, are you around or are you? Nearby, I have to make the bed and then move this to outside. Okay, let's start with Mike then. Mike is here. Uh, do I have a scene or moment that I wish had happened differently? <laughs> the, the tank scene. Um, <laughs> I really wish that I had thought more. I really get tunnel vision when I see a goal. And so I really wish that I had thought more and not caused the Battle of the Oasis. <laughs> uh, that is definitely something that feels bad. Mm-hmm. Um, for Slip, I really wish that I had done something other than run away during our first confrontation with Whiskey Tango, <laughs> but I was just like, no, I think Slip would be afraid. Yeah, it made perfect sense for the character. And for the Battle of the Oasis thing, like, how, how would Emran have known? There's no way. He's going to light up. Like, there's no way for him to have known. Yeah, so that's, I can understand the wish for that to happen differently. It did suck how it, how it uh, shook out for everyone there, but. Like that's the kind of thing that there were many, many different potential triggers for how that could have happened. It just so happened that it was, well, I go and I turn on the ship. Well, 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 so you do. <laughs> us sowing, then us reaping. <laughs> uh, Trudy, do you have a scene or moment that you wish had happened differently? I mean, not a specific scene or moment, um, but I do kind of wish that 
you know, I had done more to to kind of friend up Zora with uh, some of the some of the season two cast. Hmm. But maybe there'll be time to kind of get that going in the future. It'll be time to get to know them for sure. Uh, Velvet, do you have one? You know, I don't really think so. Hmm. I think everything like has gone in a very narratively fitting way that I really wouldn't change anything. Yeah, that's fine, too. It's okay to be satisfied with things. Well, I'm never satisfied. I mean, I, I wish I would have gotten to clock then. That's really the only change I would make. Yeah. There's still time, uh, though. I mean, zoning tried. <laughs> I was zoning. That was, was zoning. emotionally devastating. I thought he was going to die. I also thought he was going to die, but, you know, Jason told me about, you know, I, I think zoning is going to betray the party. I'm like, all right. Uh, he's going to get in touch with Den and then go out to meet him. I'm like, this is going to go so poorly. <laughs> he's the final boss. <laughs> but no, Zona went out there and, and got his ass thoroughly kicked. I mean, it'd be like that sometimes, though. It'd be like that sometimes. Um, I Kinkers, mean, did you go ahead? So I was just saying that that's the, that's the Shonen arc, right? You got to get your ass beat before the training arc. Now Zonin is going to show up in season three and swallow the emergency and become God. Yeah, of course. Um, I think one of the things I regret the most was how CD interacted with Hector's corpse um, body. I think I would have changed it a little bit more. Um, I would have consulted more with Mike. I mean. At the time, I wouldn't have changed it, but basically what CD did. Okay. It might have been better if Haros had been like, oh, maybe like there was a pool of people's DNA that had been taken and maybe it was Hector or something. I don't know. Okay. Uh, what was the biggest surprise for you? Keekers, if you're still around, you have that. Otherwise, we can come back to you. Well, I think one of the biggest things was finding out that people had come in from the outside. Oh, yeah. And then um, the big thing that and the emergency was a being. Hmm. That just freaked me out because I thought it was just like a chain of events. Right. There's that secrecy again. Hmm. <laughs> uh, Mike. Definitely horrified to find out that we were in a sci-fi game and not a fantasy game. <laughs> yeah, that was, was that disappointing for you? No, because all I do is play fantasy games. Okay. So it was fantastic. Um, yeah. And then I think there's, there's one for season two that just absolutely blew my gaskets. And I can't remember what it was. I think it was the first, because I had completely forgotten that we'd had a conversation about Slip being multiple fragments and then the first time it happened i was like oh this is so dramatic and then <laughs> i went back and read our messages i'm like oh I, yeah i fully said yes to that <laughs> uh, that was uh when you went to the core and we're right. having those memories okay uh trudy i feel like i'm just gonna be copying every everyone else but like um keekers and 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 mike said before uh, but between the emergency and also finding out that this wasn't a fantasy game i think those were really the two biggest surprises for me mm -hmm. i mean i i remember when we we did play the one shot and we um we ended right at the end and we we, we had the whole revelation i mean i was just like stunned because <laughs> i'd never been kind of hoodwinked like that in a game before yeah i'm, I'm glad i think that's the the one thing that I 
one of the things that I don't regret that much is keeping that part of it a big surprise because I don't know. I think, I think it turned out well. It was a, a nice surprise, a pleasant, interesting one rather than, Oh, this sucks surprise. Yeah, no, I mean, it was definitely a good surprise. I felt it. The nanites arp. You played us like a goddamn fiddle. <laughs> yeah. I do love nano machines. This person loves robots. <laughs> <laughs> You're a robot lover. Okay. The biggest surprise for me, um, in addition to getting, uh, I guess, uh, getting Hub Online so quickly, that was a surprise for me. And just the, like, the constant way that, like, I would feel like I was seeding certain things. And then you all would just go and find something else. <laughs> be like, We're going over there. And I'd be like, oh, shit, what's over there? <laughs> I don't give a good goddamn about what you have prepared at any sort yeah. of heretics end. I'm going into space. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was fun. Um, those surprises. In season two, I think, uh, let's see, CD deciding to play the violin uh, in the middle of the, like when the, when the sim <laughs> thing was happening. That, that took me by surprise and it led to a beautiful moment. It's a, that was a, a surprise for me as well. And uh, just the whole last session, I think, full of surprises there. Um, okay. When did you feel you had an opportunity to really show off your character, uh, Mike? I really felt like I was, I was f- thoroughly feeling my oats when I was playing Emran during season two and we got on um, El Coco. And just me, Zora, and the rest of the party were just absolutely trouncing people. I was like, yes, look at Emran, look at Zora. I was, I was vibing hard. That was and, a good scene. And then with Slip, it was, it's either got to be when Slip blew up an APC single-handedly. Mm-hmm. I could fully on one die. Didn't expect that to happen. And Slip's finale was delightful to play and really hard, but delightful. Yeah, that was a that was a really emotional session overall, like the whole thing. I was crying. Just so y'all know, I'm now in my car recording. Oh boy. <laughs> oh hi. Yeah. Probably try to rearrange the cars a little bit so that I can be closer to the house and they can move. But that's the situation we're in. <sighs> Do you want to talk about <laughs> when did you really feel you had an opportunity to really show off your character? Uh, definitely the, the time with the violin. Hmm. That was a major changing point for CD. I had a notebook. Let me find the notebook. Okay, we can come back. Um, Trudy. Probably when uh, we had that one-on-one one-shot, um, I tend to really suck at taking the lead uh, in any game that I'm in, just because uh, I'm a little bit insecure. I don't know if you guys knew that about me. Really? Um, <laughs> no. I don't get it. <laughs> So when I was when I was forced to kind of go, all- yeah, when I was forced to go one on one with you, it was like I had no one else that I could really um, lean back on to make the hard decisions. It was me making all the choices. So I feel in that way, uh, Zora wasn't quite as much in the background as she usually is. Yeah, I got some really cool moments out of that. And like the a lot of the approaches that you took were not what I was expecting from Zora either. I, I kind of figured it would be Zora rampaging through this facility. <laughs> breaking everything in her way instead she was being very smart and like what's a what's a way to approach this where i'm not putting myself in danger because i don't know the capabilities of these things yeah and that um that helps me that helped me think of ways to try and engage zora more when she was with the rest of the group like 
Zora is not just, I break things. Zora is capable, competent military leader. Yeah. Who is also very good at breaking things. Um, Velvet. Ooh, I think for Augustus, it was definitely that the penultimate meeting with Gentrifier and then the actual finale itself uh, of just kind of, yeah, just that moment of flying too Hi. close to the sun. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Just a little interrupt. I might like pop out for a minute as we move our cars, but then I'll be okay. back on. All right. Just as a t- sort of thing. And r- your ARP, you're going to hear car noises when I start it off. It's okay. Car, car noises intensify. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most extreme uh, recording of Splinters of a Broken Sun ever. Colleen is going to jump 14 buses in a Zamboni. Oh, it's going to be a golf cart. That's what we've got. In Florida. <laughs> Velvet, you were saying. Yeah, no, just uh, those last two episodes of Augustus was kind of just peak flying too close to the sun eh, uh, mm-hmm. before hitting the ground. And then for Maeve, I think, I think it was maybe that that first excursion into the sun once she could like shapeshift, because I think you know even before that, though she had her bugs, it was still a lot of not administrative, but almost intel gathering kind of work. Like she wasn't beefy, but now she can like throw down, and I was like, yeah, this is fun. Mm-hmm. It was definitely. Again, one of those things where my expectations of, oh, what will Maeve do with these powers? Oh, she's going to like turn into like, she get wings so she can fly above the battlefield and command her, her swarm or she'll go and hide inside corners and things that people can't see her as she lines up her attacks. And instead, it's like, I turn into a spider centaur and I wreck shit. <laughs> Aren't you tired of gathering reconnaissance? Wouldn't you rather just go ape shit? <laughs> Literally. There was the one time I was afraid that you were going to kill the people before we questioned them with your acid. Mm. And that came out, and I and I felt bad about that because I'm like, oh no, no, Colleen, stop, stop. Uh, I mean, listen, if we're all gonna be like, if we're gonna be fair and keep it real, given my history of behaviors, that's a fair concern. Yeah. Uh, did you find your notebook, Keekers? Yeah, oh. I did. Okay. Um, good news is I don't have to move car. Yay. Excellent. Um, don't podcast and drive, kids. Yeah, so the Kevo... <laughs> Kevo moment? Me t- turn around and park. was at the end of season two, actually, when... She, oh, you're cutting out. She and the Logistark... You're working together with the Logistark to get the shield going? Okay. Kikers is is cut out probably due to being on phone data, but we can come back to that because we are on the last question at this point. What is a scene you wish had happened that never did or hasn't yet, Mike? Huh. I like. I want to see Alejo, like just getting better. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's just, been through it just for a few decades of peace for sure um trudy um i i don't know (laughs) i had these questions and i this was one of those ones that i really didn't have an answer for then and i was like i'm gonna see if anything comes up before we start recording and unfortunately i don't have anything now nothing specific anyway yeah that's fine you have one velvet yeah i'm excited to 
uh, have Maeve essentially meet her dad. I, I think we had mused on it a couple of times, but I think in my head, I always just um, like, I don't know, resigned it to like both parents being dead. And then, you know, you dropped that on me and I was like, ARP. <laughs> Concerns. Matthew Snapwave, you've done it again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I cut out there. My uh, bottom of my mic accidentally touched the power button. Oh, yeah. Uh- so you're saying the moment was that the Logistark at the end of season two? So uh, Keva connecting to the Logistark and making that giant laser. That was fun. That was cool. Really showed how Keva can kind of be a people person, despite people saying people with autism. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, stereotypes. Um, have bad social skills. Yeah. Yeah. Which are not borne out by reality. Fortunate things. No, actually, people with autism. Oh, yeah, people with autism are hyper. Uh, a lot of us are hyper apathetic instead. So we close ourselves off a little bit or act differently. But we are feeling way more than typical people mm-hmm. in feeling what you feel. Basically, that's the kind of thing why it's why it's good to have own voices telling these stories as opposed to having people outside those experiences try and tell a story that they haven't lived. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, Velvet, as I recall, if we looked at that uh, Street Magic hacks list, one of the story beats was Maeve's dad showing up. So that's still something that, that's probably going to be happening in season three. I was so excited when I heard that sto- that thing. I'm like, oh, yes! <laughs> that's going to be such an awkward reunion. <laughs> Greetings, Father. I am a spider. <laughs> <laughs> Not even that. It's like, it's like okay. The, do we shake hands? Do we bump fists? Like, do we fight? <laughs> Maybe. I think you guys should go out to dinner and binge. Are there any last thoughts that anyone wants to share about seasons one and two before we close out our post mortem and Q and A here? Florida is very hot. <laughs> And I am glad. Florida is very hot. I am glad. Uh, sometime in season three, I won't be in Florida anymore. All right. Nice. Well, thanks for joining us, folks. We already did all our introductions at the top, and this is all going to be one big episode, so don't need to do them again. But thank you for joining us for our Q and A, and thank you to Dwayne and Elga for the questions, and thank you to all of you for answering my questions as well and sharing this conversation about uh, the work we've been doing over the past three and a half years. Yes, go ahead. Was what's everyone's Sonic character according to the IMBTI chart? Yeah, you did put that up at some point. Yeah. Oh, I've been meaning to look at that. Oh, I completely forgot. I'm sorry. (laughs) I I saw Sonic and just I I don't remember anything (laughs) until this moment. I you gotta gear yourself up before engaging with Sonic. Um, I got a uh, shadow surprising no one. Versus <laughs> Sonic stuff. That's great. Oh, it's in the hub channel. I'm big okay. the cat. I'm big the cat. You are. I love oh, that. Great. Hell yeah. Yes. Uh, I haven't taken one of these Myers Briggs personality types ever since I found out about Myers and Briggs. <laughs> but uh, same. Yeah. I just don't remember yeah. the result. Yeah. I cool think my. I think I had. INFP, so that would make me Silver the Hedgehog. 
Oh, that's weird because that's mine. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Sil I have. Silver's a good angsty child that wants to help people, but very anxious. I'm INFJ, so that would be uh, Tikal. I don't know. I'm not to call. Like the Mayan city. Yeah. All good choices. All right. Well, on that note, <laughs> we'll close out our postmortem. Thanks, Sokka. I'm going to close out our postmortem, and uh, I think we're going to take a little break and then come back and talk characters for season three. Yeah. That's sick. Yeah, great. So until the next time, all the best. All the best. All the best. Bye. Love y'all. Space insects. Space insects. Arachnids. Uh, Arachnids. Right?